Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're into extra time. Kilda and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Alex Coogan Reeves. History was made this week with Timaru shot putter Tom Walsh becoming the first male New Zealand athlete to win an Athletics World Championship title. Walsh, who won a bronze medal at the Rio Olympics last year, threw 22.03 metres to win the World Championship title in London. However, he had to survive protests from his fellow competitors. The Olympic champion Ryan Krauser and second place Joe Kovacs contested foul throws they were given. Sports editor Stephen Hewson spoke to Walsh on the night of his triumph. Look, all I thought was, mate, I, I, I was still trying to throw further. I was still trying to stick to my processes um, and things that have been working for me recently and uh, and really get behind one And because and, uh, I thought that other boys would have for sure, but they didn't. But uh, I managed to pull one out in the last throw as well, which was, which was something pretty cool. Um, yeah, and so it's just an amazing feeling, mate, being world champ. Kovacs and his uh, appeal, a nervous few minutes there? Well, yeah, well, it was more than minutes. Like I was, it was probably like about an hour and a half after um, the event. Uh, I heard that I didn't, uh, that I had it, um, which was which is pretty cool. Um, but it was a weird, weird kind of hour and a half, um, not knowing whether it was yes or no. Have you spoken to him? Yes, yeah, we've uh, we had a chat, um, and look, he was well within his right to, to do it, uh, and I would have done the same thing as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a sport, that's the way it is. Um, but they reviewed it, and they decided that it was it was still a foul, so um, here we are. Now, you've obviously timed your run right. You, you talked about your build-up and everything and how, how it was going and that you pretty much thought you were on the, on the money. Some suggestion you might have had a bit of an injury issue during the week? <laughs> yeah, last training session on Friday, I uh, managed to tweak my groin uh, on the third throw of the session. So um wasn't exactly uh, the best build-up, but um, look, well, it was a, it was a great build-up until <laughs> until the last training session. And then there was a little bit of, uh, I guess, panic. Um, but uh, we managed it really well, and that was a great thing with the support team that uh, that's here um, for the Athletics New Zealand team. It didn't bother you through the through the throwing oh no look it's sore that's, that's one thing for sure but uh, I thought look I've, I've come that far this far um, you know it would be silly for me not to try and give it a go at least and, and you mentioned there I mean you must have been waiting for Kovacs or for Krauser to, to sort of join the join the competition but that, that never really happened no look it was uh, like everyone threw okay um, but I guess that's a thing about the big stages you know it pushes, puts stresses and pressures on you that, that normal, you know, Diamond League comps don't. And uh, for him, you know, for those guys to not actually come back. But I, I guess Joe did come back on his last throw, but it was just a foul. So, you know, look, as I said earlier, I wanted, I went into that circle not thinking I had it one on any throw. I, I wanted to keep throwing further and keep throwing further. And, and um, yeah, and, and it paid off with the last throw. Do you get a chance to celebrate now? Uh, just on the way now, finished the media stuff and and uh, all that kind of things, and now off to 
see my family who's here, my girlfriend and a few other supporters um, at, a, at a bar and uh, we'll have one or two pints and, and a feed as well because I'm a bit toey for a feed. What, what's going to be for you, for a feed? What are you looking forward to? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure, mate. Anything. Burgers, uh, some steak, I don't know. Anything, mate. Anything that goes on the plate. And you get a conversation with your uncle because he had a word or two to say to you after Rio, didn't he? <laughs> the old second, the second loser um, thing. No, look, I haven't had a chance to chat to him yet, but um, you know, I'm sure he'll he'll come up with something that I've done wrong. <laughs> and that was world champion Tom Walsh talking to Stephen Hewson. Walsh has confirmed that he will soldier on in the European circuit this season, despite his injury. So, seven months after kicking off the Super Rugby competition, the winners have finally been found. The Crusaders won their eighth championship title when they beat the Lions in Johannesburg at the weekend. It was the Crusaders' first success since 2008 with the coach Scott Robertson at the helm for the first time. Our three wise old heads, well some simply say old, from the sports department, Stephen Hewson, Barry Guy and Rory Newsom look back on the season. Well we all got that wrong, didn't we? Uh, the Crusaders beating the Lions in the Super Rugby final after uh, I think all three of us. Rory, Barry, myself, we all picked the, the Lions to, to win. Barry, first off, um, what, what gave it to the Crusaders over the Lions? Well, they made a good start, just like the Hurricanes had the uh, week before in Johannesburg, and I think it was their uh, defence in the end, just like it has most of the year. They managed to uh, you know, uh, defend well against the Lions, who, who couldn't break through. You know, got tense there for a while, and they were just hanging on. But it was enough for them to uh, get through, and I suppose after the year... When you look back at what they uh, actually achieved, then it was probably uh, justified in some way. And to win away from home was was outstanding. Scott Robertson, you know, he'd have to be up for coach of the year now. I, I do sort of think, you know, Todd Blackadder is sitting in Britain probably going, well, you know, my eight years didn't didn't go so well, but uh, Scott Robertson got them going well. So uh, congratulations to them. And, and yeah, defence wins matches, I suppose. Rory, 10 years since the Crusaders last won. What was it that maybe impressed you the most about that, that win? Oh, that was a very disciplined team, wasn't it? I mean, when that red card came out, uh, it took a lot of sting out of the game. But even up until then, you know, they'd controlled that game. I was thinking that uh, uh, at one stage, I was thinking the Lions were going to just roll their way back. But that Crusaders defence was just stunning. And Robertson's, you know, drilled that team. They have rolled that out, they rolled that out against the Chiefs, they rolled that out all the way through the team. So, I mean, all the way through the competition. I was thinking that the high belt, uh, home crowd, that would be just too much and that the, the Crusaders would stumble at that last hurdle. But, no, I think, and, and, and all credit to them, a team that can uh, can tackle like that against a, uh, um, you know, a, a hard-running Bok team, basically, you know, a big Bok-laden South African team, I, I, I thought they did real well. What about for, for next year, the, the competition? There's obviously a few changes back to, to Super 15. Um, pretty much had to, had to be some, didn't there, Barry? Some sort of change to, to get things, I suppose, back on track because there was a point there. I mean, that competition, what, February it kicked off and we're sort of into August before we finally got a winner. Um, obviously, there was the international rugby break, but uh, you had the Lions getting to the semi-final stage, not even playing a New Zealand team. Yeah, I was happy, of course, that the the Crusaders won in the end because the New Zealand team won. I think Rory and I were talking a few days ago that I only watch the New Zealand sides. 
you know, I apart from some of the Springboks, I don't really know any of the South African players. I, I probably know more about the Australians. And, the new, you know, the conferences where you're playing every weekend, there's, there's some good derby in New Zealand, is outstanding. And I won't watch probably when they're playing, you know, the South Africans. So we have a New Zealand conference now, and you've got, you know, um, the the Argentinians and with the South Africans and all those sorts of things. You know, it, it's never going to be ideal. But as I say, I just like watching the New Zealand sides. So I don't know about you, Rory, with, with the future of the whole competition. It's, it's splintered, but can they make it any better? I don't know. It's interesting, really. I mean, the, the, the competition, which seemed so strong about two, two, three years ago, and we wanted Argentinian teams to join in, and it, you know, it was suddenly looking like it was taking. It, it was world rugby, really, wasn't it? And now it's starting to look like it's actually breaking up. We've got South African teams heading off to the Northern Hemisphere. Um, I don't know whether they're going to be able to rebuild it in the current structure, the way they, uh, you know, just trying to mingle two or sorry, three separate feeling like three separate uh, competitions just about going uh, going together. Um, let's go back to New Zealanders playing New Zealanders, and, and we'll all be watching, won't we? I mean, that's good rugby. That's what we want. Well, I noticed with the, with the draw next season, what they've changed it around. So, obviously, we're down to 15 teams, two to go to Australia, which we don't uh, yet know. Sorry, one to go from Australia, which we don't yet know, and the two South African teams are going. But I think what well, now each team will play eight cross-conference matches. That's four... Uh, against four of the five teams from each of the other two conferences. And each team will play 12 of the other teams within the season. So that boosts, I think, 85% of the opposition teams, which is sort of up from 70%. So, so basically there's going to be more, more teams playing against each other across conferences, effectively is what the, the new format is going to be. But it's, uh, like you both mentioned there, it's uh, never going to be perhaps uh, perhaps ideal. Um, Hard to get people interested, isn't it? Yeah. Hard to get people interested when, one, uh, you're focused on your your own teams doing well, and then all of a sudden, woof, they disappear for um, you know two weeks or so because they're over on the other side of the, and the, the games are being played in the middle of the night. Um, I, I just don't know that the South African uh, connection seems to work, and and they always come over here. They always they hardly ever uh, do anything when they when they're over on our side of the turf. So it feels to me like there's something something's gone wrong in the competition. Why don't we just split it back up again and have like just a super a super super final whereby the conferences play out and we forget about chasing them back and forth across the um, across the Indian Ocean. Yeah, we, we won't have the situation where the Lions. Well, I'm assuming probably not where the Lions don't play a New Zealand side and they got all the way through to the final and I suppose and we just thank goodness that the Crusaders won because uh, you know they they managed to overcome that in some way and travel and win yeah I I I don't know to tell you the truth it's um, you know it's the whole thing's probably going to explode in a couple of years anyway and we'll you know we'll we'll start again from ground zero so uh, we'll see what happens I don't know is it good that the Crusaders won I mean if the Lions had won Presumably that would have boosted the, the interest maybe in South Africa, and obviously South Africa is the big TV dollar is where it comes in for the competition. Would it possibly have given the the uh, the competition a bit of a, a kick up the backside that possibly needed to spark a bit of more global interest? Um, the global interest, though, in in the game really seems to be at the international level, doesn't it? I, it doesn't feel to, although I, I guess in the Northern Hemisphere the clubs the clubs are very, really strong. But from in the southern hemisphere, 
since hard for me to get excited about the, watching the, the that cheetahs or or even watching the brumbies at the moment you know so some of these teams um they just don't sort of engage uh, there's a lot of rugby on and i'm now about to get the next diet of internationals um the the whole super rugby um, competition to me it feels like it needs to be stripped back simplified uh, let's identify a new zealand champion and let's play off against someone but running around around the country and you know flying off to Argentina to play I'm just not interested yeah good point actually Rory I do think yeah the internationals maybe two clear windows of about six weeks where the internationals are played bring the super rugby back from about five months or whatever it is to four or whatever and um yeah make it make it a little bit more simple well, you mentioned there, Barry, that, that length of time. I mean, four months still possibly even maybe a bit too long. Maybe, you know, because like we said there, February to August before we finally got a got a winner, it does seem to, to drag on a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, you mentioned the whole perhaps uh, just uh, three conferences or, or Rory did with, uh, you know, a playoff just with the winners of that. But then, of course, New Zealanders will complain that, you know, say the Hurricanes finished fourth in their competition and they still could have beaten the first team in Australia and, you know... Uh, you can't keep on having it both ways, Barry. <laughs> then we just go for a winner. You, let's split ourselves up into, into, if we want Argentina in there. Okay, four four conferences. They all play. Let's not intermingle them. We get a winner from each. Let's play off through that. And then whoever wins is the winner. And you can't bring your Hurricanes back in just because they did really well in the New Zealand conference. We're just going for, uh, uh, you know, like a, a super rugby uh, finalists and a super rugby competition that is done in four different zones. The problem you've got then, though, Rory, is that you've got a lack of interest because your New Zealand teams fall out. You've got possibly uh, one set of your South African teams falling out. I suppose that's what they've been trying to do with this format is to maintain the interest across a variety of conferences for as long as possible so they can get as much bang for the buck. Yeah, yeah, no, but you, you you will still have a winner in South Africa, and they've got to play off, don't they? So you you still have South Africans at a quarterfinal level or a semifinal level. Nobody will be semifinal level; they'll get knocked out. So you'll end up with, so you're going to end up with two people playing in a final. <laughs> no matter how complicated you make these things, you can't get away from the fact that there has to be a final between two teams, and one of them may not be South African. So okay, they will drop out, uh, but at the same time, I, I just think that would uh, that would give us. What we all want, which is a you know a, a meaningful competition with a winner, who's the strongest team in the uh, in that competition. Barry, you got anything to add? No, I, my head's hurting uh, <laughs> somewhat. But you've got you've got three conferences, and so you know. Uh, uh, Maybe the New Zealand team should just go straight into the final and the, the, the South Africans and the Australians can play off to see who wants to go up against them. Problem solved. Right, well, I'm not sure if anything was actually resolved there, but thanks, Stephen, Barry and Rory. The Silver Ferns coach Janine Southby says agonising over who to include in the squad this week demonstrates netball in New Zealand's in very good health. Southby named a 16-strong squad this week with rookies Whitney Soonis and Monica Faulkner selected and tactics defender Timalisi Fakahokato recalled for the upcoming quad series, which also involves Australia, England and South Africa. She spoke to Joanna McKenzie about her selection dilemmas. All of the teams that we're going to face in this part of the international calendar are very tough. We, we've got South Africa first up in Australia and we know that a couple of their players have played across both our league and also the Australian league and so that will 
give them a bit more experience and and know what it's about to be in the international arena a little bit more than what they've had in the past. So they've got some young talent, they've got some really athletic players, and and you know they'll always be a threat. And you know any team can beat any team on any day, so we never take any opposition lightly. And it's about us putting our best product on. But you know certainly for the first two series, it's really focusing on us and what we can do. We certainly as coaches keep a really close eye eye on what's happening. We've watched the Australian League over the season and we, we watch with who they put in their squads and, you know, like they will be with us. So, you know, certainly um, we're really aware that we've got a tough series against England post-quad series and we know that they've actually, they're all fully fit, which they haven't been in the last couple of years and they'll be determined to, to get us and England in that space are really dangerous and then we face Australian Constellation Cup and you know it's hard to find the weaknesses in that group of players they're, they've been together for a couple of years they're very experienced they have confidence in each other and for us it's about again focusing on what we can do and controlling what we can do and, and putting as much pressure as we can on them to create ball which is which is the key for us to win games mm-hmm. you, you've been really good at just feeding in and, and renewing the the silver fern squad you've got you know new players coming in and is, is that do you think going to be the key to the silver fern success that it's constantly growing and getting better yeah look I, I believe that we've got a fantastic group of girls who have got a great skill set I think they're very complementary of each other mm-hmm. and we've got options that can change games for us which is really exciting and you know we're looking for players who can make great decisions on court and because ultimately out there that's the ones that they have to be able to think for themselves and they have to be able to do it for themselves and you know I think the biggest thing for us is actually working on our connections and understanding and getting common language really quickly we have six or seven trainings I think before we hit South Africa and then we just keep building as we go through so it's quite different to a franchise calendar where you have a whole week to prepare between games most weeks and a couple of trainings between games so you know it is it's a pressure cooker environment and I, I think we've got the skill set and the players to, to take on the world and win and we believe in the group that we've got. We've just got to keep pushing each other and they've got to keep pushing themselves. Uh, you know, do you feel across the court that everybody's performing you know, to the utmost level? Oh, I think we've still got a lot of growth there, uh, which is the exciting thing. Um, I think what we found out last year is that we know that we can win. We just don't do it consistently enough and we don't have the... We haven't had the work ethic to be able to do it consistently enough, and so that's the big, big thing for us is to be able to sustain performance on the international stage requires a lot of hard work, a lot of grit, and that determination that you're just going to keep putting it out there, and, and that's where we're at with this group and the demanding of each other and the pushing each other to keep doing that, and that, then that belief and, and um, confidence comes from there. Revelations the New Zealand Badminton Open was targeted by match fixers as a wake-up call for all sport. That's what the head of Badminton New Zealand, Joe Hitchcock, is saying. Few details about the incident are being released other than a New Zealand player was approached and asked to fix a match. He says it's lucky Badminton has a well-developed programme for dealing with corruption and match fixing and could deal with the incident. But he told Rory Newsom it's still a big wake-up call for all New Zealand sporting codes. During the event, uh, we had an incident where a player was approached uh, and effectively asked to uh, fix a match. Uh, at that stage, uh, the player immediately declined uh, the invitation, um, then reported that through uh, to Badminton uh, New Zealand, and that started our process and, and policies around uh, dealing with our uh, sport integrity uh, framework and, and what we need to do in that space to make sure that we report the incident, follow it up, and reduce as much of the risk as we can around the event. Is this a New Zealand player or an international player? 
Uh, it is a New Zealand player. So the, the player themselves knows what to do? Uh, we've worked really hard over the last uh, two years around educating athletes uh, through the I Am Badminton uh, campaign, which is about uh, being clean, being honest. Uh, we're very fortunate that the program has a lot of educational resources. Um, it's very interactive and it's a great opportunity for players to learn and understand uh, what they can do in those um, in those situations, which uh, are not common at all. They're very, very, very rare, but great to have the knowledge and uh, the understanding of, of what they need to do if they're faced in that situation. We know sports betting, uh, you know, internationally is is a big issue, but we always tend to associate it with the you know the big codes with soccer, with um, tennis. Sometimes, uh, what may be lost is badminton is a massive global uh, sport, so we're uh, incredibly popular uh, in Europe and, and in Asia. Uh, and the New Zealand Badminton Open is broadcast to an audience of over 100 million households, um, so it is a significant um, event. Carries a $120,000 US prize money. So there's significant international uh, exposure and uh, and a massive amount of, of interest. We had a former uh, world number one woman single player uh, competing and um, the social media and the broadcast uh, for the event um, is massive. So uh, I, I think I think what's key for New Zealand is that although sports may be perceived to be relatively small here, uh, actually they uh, there's a a global community now and, and a close connection um, with uh, with what's happening around the world that can drag New Zealand into. The Chief Executive of Sport New Zealand, Peter Miskimmon, says the incident is unlikely to be the only one of its type on these shores. It's happening once, it's happening elsewhere, uh, and that's the fight we have on our hands at the moment. Uh, I don't think we can sit back and accept that uh, everything is nice and rosy and green in New Zealand. We're, we've got bad forces um, global forces that are now entering our, entering our market. Anywhere where there is a bet about to be placed, uh, be it either in a in, in New Zealand context or someone offshore, there's always an opportunity for manipulation. Um, and so we uh, are, um, are taking this very seriously and we are working strongly with all our codes to ensure that they do have, one, the awareness, two, the mechanisms in place, and three, um, the education for those people, athletes and coaches in their system. And again, I can only reinforce that they all worked well in this situation. So in a way, you'd almost look to use, use badminton in this example as a case study of how to, how to do it right and yep. to other yep. sports. Yep, I mean, you know, they've uh, got hold of their international body who was managing the, the tournament at that, at that stage. They got hold of the police. Uh, they notified the, um, uh, the New Zealand Racing Board. Uh, they notified us. Um, and, and the athlete did the right thing. So many of the mechanisms we've talked about uh, were able to be triggered, uh, which prevented uh, a situation that could have been quite bad. So um, you know, that's heartening. But again, I would be naive if we didn't think there were other chances to be uh, with this manipulation that's going on. And we, we have to be you know, constantly vigilant uh, and wary of, of uh, the, the dynamics and trends that are happening in sport at the moment. Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Peter Miskimmon. The darts legend Phil the Power Taylor is in New Zealand to compete in one of his final tournaments as he reaches the end point of his career. 2017 is the 16-time world champion's farewell tour after announcing that he would be packing his darts away and retiring from the sport in January. Joanna McKenzie caught up with the Power ahead of this weekend's Auckland Masters tournament and asked him whether his swan song tour was flying past in a blur. 
Very slow, believe it or not. When, when you give your notice then, and said, I'm going to retire at the end of the year, that year becomes the longest year of old career, because I can't wait for January, so I'm just counting the days now. I'm really looking forward to it. When I say retire, I'm not retiring, I'm still working. I think Bob's booked me probably about 160 nights work next year, plus these TV shows are coming in now, like The Jungle and Big Brother and that type of thing. So we're going to look at them and see what, we'll see what happens next year now. Like I was just about to ask you what, what you're going to do. Do you think you're going to miss this? No, not at all. No, I, I should still be working. But it, it, you've got to remember, I've been, I've been 30 years under pressure to perform week in, week out. Whereas personal appearances, exhibition work, after dinners, I can just go and enjoy it and there's no pressure on me. Did you think 30 years ago that your career would last this long, take you to this many different countries? No, no not, not, not in a million years. I knew once I started and I become world champion, I thought you can make a living now, a decent living for probably the rest of your life, you know, maybe if I could win it two or three more times, but to win it well, many of them did, I'd never, no, of course you wouldn't, you'd never think that in a million years, so, and I've done well, I've earned a few million, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very wealthy, so I've got a lot to thank the sport for, but I've also got to think about myself and, you know, and slow down now, when I'm travelling week in and week out, I can't do that no more. Given your long career, what sort of advice would you give to people who want to get into darts or just, you know, play it regularly? Well, the young, the young, the young lads now are qualified, so they're decent players, and they're going to start earning some money now. And, and, and hopefully, you know, they can progress, they can get better, they can earn more. And I would, the, the biggest advice I say to youngsters is watch your money, watch who comes around, watch all the little vampires coming from, you know, who you've never met before because they're after one thing. Make sure you pay your tax. You know, get two bank accounts, that's what I used to tell them. Put 50% in one, put 50% in another because you got you have to pay tax. So a uh, little bit of advice because over the years I've seen many, many players in different sports win 100,000 and go and spend it. And think that's theirs, well it's not. So, and then obviously you've got to dedicate yourself, you've got to be professional. Don't be going out till 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, night clubbing or casino. We go bed, get up early, get your practice done. Be professional. And the Auckland tournament here, um, you've enjoyed playing it in the past. I mean, and how does it compare to other ones that you go to around the world? Very, very similar, very similar. You know, it's a good crowd, they're very knowledgeable, they're noisy, you know, they get stuck in, they applaud at the right times and they boo at the right times. It's, it's a good, it's a good crowd. It's lovely. I mean, it's a lovely place to be anyway. You know, it's winter and the weather's nice, so that's an extra bonus. And it's probably quite a bit different from home. It's summer at home and it's raining. It's not stopped raining. You have to have wet feet to live in England and a pair of wellies. Honestly, it never stops raining. I said, best of luck um, you. for your retirement in inverted commas. We'll have a go, we'll have a go. To me now, I go out there and I enjoy it. You know, I'm not under pressure. So if I play, I played last week and I won a major and I was not under pressure and I just enjoyed it. And I thought, well, if you get beat, you know, everything's a bonus for me now. So I can just enjoy it. And I think the pressure's on them now. That was Phil the Power Taylor talking to Joanna McKenzie. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us on sport at radionz.co.nz. Call Alex Coogan Reeves, a ho. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.